Welcome to the Golden Age of Baseball with Eddie Robinson, baseball's oldest living player. Eddie was a four-time All-Star first baseman, scout, coach, and front office executive during his amazing 65-year career in America's pastime. These podcasts will give the baseball enthusiast the opportunity to share a slice of baseball history with someone who actually lived it. In this podcast, Eddie's going to talk about the equipment they used back during the golden age of baseball. But before we bring Eddie on, I just wanted to say a few words. My name is Greg Ricks, and I'm a friend of Eddie's, and I'm producing these podcasts. Eddie was kind enough to offer you good people autographed pictures of himself in his various team uniforms in return for a contribution, all of which Eddie passed on to me. I thank him for doing this, and I especially wanted to thank you folks who sent in checks. It's very much appreciated, and I intend to take the kindness and generosity you've shown me and pass it forward. And now, here's Eddie. Hi, podcasters. This is Eddie again. I'm going to talk about uh, equipment today and answer some questions that... uh, People keep riding in and wanting to know this and that about uh, uh, things that happened and the equipment we had in the olden days. And I'm going to talk about, uh, talked about last podcast, I talked about the uniforms, the big old heavy woolen uniforms that we played in when I was getting started in class D. And during my career, uh, the, the uniforms did improve, and by the end of my career, when I was with the Yankees and um, wound up with Cleveland, the uniforms were much better. They were much lighter in weight. Uh, they felt better on you when you put them on. You didn't feel like you were being weighed down, and and they certainly didn't retain perspiration like the old uniforms did. And so I, I, I described that rather fully in the last podcast. Uh, uh, John Murphy also wanted to know about uh, gloves. Well, gloves, uh, that's an interesting topic because over the years, they have changed a lot. Uh, when I was a kid, I told you I, uh, I bought a glove, I bought a a Bill Doak glove, which is a very popular glove when I was uh, playing a semi-pro ball and in high school. Bill Doak wasn't a fielder, he was a pitcher, but somehow they they made a glove for him and put his name on it and it became very popular. So I bought a Bill Doak glove at this local sporting goods store I think I paid five or six dollars for it, and I, I've told you in the past that I paid it out fifty cents a week. And I no sooner got the glove and started using it in the outfield than our first baseman left town, and they asked me to play first base. Well, hell, I had a new outfielder's glove, but I decided just to play first base in the the glove, and I did. I played, uh, I I don't guess it was much much of a difference because uh, 
there wasn't that much difference in gloves in those days. First basements and outfielder gloves or infielder gloves were uh, pretty small, and you had to catch the ball pretty much in the pocket in order to catch it. Whereas today they have uh, huge gloves and, and uh, a big area outside the pocket of the glove. It's if you today, if you if you're agile and you can get to the ball, get your glove to the ball, uh, it'll catch it, and uh, that's why you see all these spectacular plays, and they are spectacular. Uh, happen in the games today uh, that you didn't used to see, and when I played, you used to never see them because you had to catch the ball in the pocket of the glove. So when I played uh, semi-pro, and then went, when I went to uh, Valdosta, my first year pro ball, I bought a first base mitt. I think it was a Dinkert first base mitt. It was nothing fancy, and it was small, and uh, it, it was difficult to catch baseballs in it, like it it's easy today. It was difficult then. I played with that, and then I uh, was in Valdosta two years, and I played with a uh, Dinker glove. And then when I went to Elmira, I think I got another glove. I think it was a Rawlings glove, and it was a little bigger. Uh, the leather was a little better, and it was a little easier to field with it to catch the ball. I, I, I took that glove on to Baltimore with me in my fourth year of baseball. And then I, uh, I went, in, went into the service uh, after the 42 season. And I played ball and baseball in the service. But uh, we had good, and we had good equipment. We had the best of gloves and bats and balls and uh, the gloves improved at that time, uh, around that time. Hank Greenberg, who was always my idol, he played for the first base for the Detroit Tigers. And, and he had devised a, a, a kind of his first baseman, a kind of a net, and, and, and it was against the rules. I think gloves were only supposed to be uh, like, I don't know how many inches wide, but he he devised this net which extended his glove, and, and it was just like a net. He could scoop a ball up, and and uh, it wouldn't even t have to touch the palm of his hand. Anyway, they called him on it uh, while I was in the service, and and he had he was in the service too he went in later and uh, they made him reduce the size of his glove and they added a strap on the back of, of my first basement i had a strap a leather strap from uh, from the thumb all the way across the back to the little finger and that kept that assured that my glove would be only be so many inches uh, wide, 
and so big. And uh, I think it was nine inches. But uh, I think if you probably looked around and looked at memorabilia gloves, you probably have seen a first base mitt or a, a, even a fielder's glove with that strip of leather across the back. That's something for you to look for. Uh, it was kind of a unique thing. And and I played with that when I was in the, in the Navy. And when I came out of the Navy and went to, uh, back to Cleveland and Baltimore and Cleveland, uh, that's the kind of glove I played with. Andrew Williams wrote me and um, wanted to know if I thought the designated hitter uh, should be adopted in the National League and what I thought about the designated hitter rule. Well, I'm, uh, I'm kind of in favor of the designated hitter rule. I think it, it belongs in modern baseball, the kind of baseball they play today. I, I don't think it was good when, at the time I played. There was more strategy in the game when I played. And a lot of the strategy developed around the pitcher hitting, the manager taking him out for a pinch hitter or not. And uh, it was, uh, we played a different game of baseball than they play today. So uh, as of today, yes, I'd say it would be a step in the right direction to have a designated hitter in both leagues. And it would work just fine. Uh, another another fellow wrote me and wanted to know about uh, uh, batting helmets. Well, there's been a lot of change in batting helmets. When I played, uh, when I started, there was no such thing as a batting helmet. wasn't even thought about. You just played in your cloth cap and uh, went about your business. And then I, I, I went through the minor leagues the same way and uh, went into the service. But uh, during that time, uh, unbeknownst to me, there had been a few instances of players trying to develop some kind of a helmet. Uh, they weren't very successful, and, and they were all pretty much individual cases. Somebody would get beamed seriously, everybody would think, boy, wouldn't it be nice if there was a helmet you could put on to protect yourself. But uh, nobody did it. No sporting goods store took the time to develop such a thing. So uh, when I came out of the Navy and went back to Baltimore, uh, they didn't have batting helmets of any sort. But uh, while I was with Cleveland, uh, I guess one of the sporting goods company developed a kind of a liner it went inside the cap and and, and fit in inside the cap band and uh, it had uh, uh, of course uh, it was a uh, plastic and there was a little bit of plastic that went under the cap band and then above the band it had uh, foam rubber and it did offer you some protection. Uh, it didn't know if you got hit in the temple, uh, it, it wouldn't protect you, but you got hit on the side of the head, 
it would the ball would glance off it and and the the uh, uh, the rubber would offer you some protection and that that's a that's the first thing that I used and I used it when I'd go to bat. In fact, I, I played with it on too. It it was not uncomfortable. It was uh, uh, most. I don't know how many guys did it, but I think most of the guys wore it. And then, um, as I recall, I'm not clear on this, but when I was with the Yankees, they came out with a helmet as they use today. It looked like the one they use today, but it didn't have a flap on it. It didn't have an ear flap. And we, we took to that, and the commissioner, I think, made it a, a rule that players had to uh, use the helmet when they went to bat. They didn't have to play in the field with it, but they had to use it when they hit. And I thought it was a good rule, and I used the helmet. And I used that kind of helmet uh, the whole time I played. They did toward the end uh, when I was with uh, uh, Detroit and Cleveland my last year. Uh, I think they added the flap. They had the flap on one side. And uh, I, I thought that that would have been an, uh, an encumbrance. I thought it might have hurt your vision a little bit. But apparently it didn't. I never used it. I never used a flap. But uh, it became quite popular. And then they put had helmets with two flaps. But uh, not many guys use a two-flap helmet. They uh, they tend to want to use the the one flap. And I think that's that's good. That's that really offers them some protection. And you, you don't have as many serious beatings as you once had. Betsy Jones, a uh, young lady, uh, well, not so young anymore, but a lady who gives Betty and me some help from time to time. She's, she helps me sign autographs and, and, and take care of my mail. And she's, she's just such a nice person. And uh, through me, she's gotten to be interested in baseball. I don't think she was too interested before. But anyway, she uh, she heard somebody talking about uh, a, a player having the yips. And she asked me, what uh, what were the yips in sports? And uh, I said, well, Betsy, uh, there are a lot of uh, funny sayings in, in sports. And yips is normally associated with uh, golf, and uh, a golfer uh, who's a lot, a lot of golfers who, when they're putting, they get the yips, and they get a, a little short putt that they should make easily, but uh, something happens to them when they get over the ball, and they have a very hard, difficult time making that putt. And that is called the yips. And uh, then I said in in, uh, in, in baseball, they have uh, what's called uh, players getting a monkey on their back. And when a player gets a monkey on his back, he's generally thought of a player 
who has a problem throwing to the a certain base, uh, he, he just uh, he kind of locks up and he doesn't want to throw uh, or can't throw the ball accurately. Uh, one of the prominent ones that comes to my mind was uh, Steve Garvey, who was uh, the great first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, and Steve came up as a third baseman, and he got the monkey on his back, and he couldn't throw the ball to first base. It was something that just, he could throw it over there, but it would be wild. And, uh, and so they, they put him on first base. They met a first baseman on him so he wouldn't have to throw so many balls. And, uh, and darn if he didn't throw okay. He didn't have any problem as a first baseman and was a very, very good third baseman, made good throws all the time but he couldn't play third base. And uh, Dale Murphy, I remember when I was in Atlanta, uh, general manager of the Braves, and, and we drafted Dale Murphy, and he joined us, he was a catcher. And uh, he played part of a year in the lower minors, and we moved him to Richmond, Virginia, our AAA club. And, he could not throw the ball to, to second base. He got the monkey on his back, and the pitcher had to look out when the runner was stealing. Uh, Dale would throw that ball, and he might, he'd just throw it anywhere. He might throw it between the pitcher's legs or hit the pitcher. So we, we saw that he was not going to be able to handle the catching position. And uh, we moved him to the outfield. And he, he came on and, and made our club in Atlanta and had a wonderful career as a center fielder for the Atlanta Braves. He, uh, twice he was the most valuable player in the league. And he threw accurately to all bases. And, and it was just wonderful to watch him play. But he could not throw the ball from the catching position to second base. So that that's called getting a monkey on your back. And then there's such a thing as a hitch. Uh, a hitch is in a baseball swing and it's uh, when the pitcher throws the ball to the hitter, he, he drops his hands uh, two or three inches before he t makes his cut at the ball. And that little drop in his hands is a big deterrent on, on getting around on the ball and, and hitting it flush. We, we try to, there aren't many players that do it because they're told early on in the minor leagues that they shouldn't have a hitch. But we had a guy in uh, uh, Chicago, his name was Jim Rivera. And he was an outfielder, and he had the biggest darn hitch. He, his hitch was about five inches, and he would drop that. He would he was a powerful guy, and took a powerful cut, and he would drop his hands about five inches and have his cut. He never was a proficient hitter. He hit about 250, 260, 
but he would have hit a lot more if he didn't have that hitch in his swing. But without the hitch, I doubt if he would have hit anything. Hitting is a very tricky uh, thing. And uh, every, every player has, who's a hitter has a little, probably a little idiosyncrasy that he uses. And uh, it's not even noticeable to other people. But it, it helps him uh, either get the bat started or uh, just helps him get the good feeling of swinging at the baseball. Talk about hitting. Ted Williams used to uh, change his bat during the season. Uh, I, I was talking to him about it one day late in the season. And he dropped down to 32-ounce bat. Uh, sometimes even swung a 31-ounce like Suitcase Simpson did. And uh, I was at the end of my career. It was too late for me to do much changing on the weight, weight of the bat that I was swinging. But Ted said it helped him. And, you know, we played every day. We didn't have substitutes to run out there and play in our place. Uh, at one time, I think I played about three or four hundred games in a row. You played the whole season, and you felt like you were expected to play the whole season. Uh, the golden era of baseball was so much different uh, than it is today. And we had pitchers that, uh, that threw complete games. Um, that was the pride the pitcher took, a starting pitcher, if he could throw a complete game, nine innings, and win. That, that was that was a wonderful feat that he did. And uh, nowadays, you, you, you see four or five different pitchers in there uh, during a ball game. It's just uh, so different. But I wanted to tell you about the bat. Uh, the bat's... Uh, they look the same, but they hollow. And nowadays, they hollow out the end of the bat and uh, to make it lighter. They might get a half ounce of wood out of the end of a bat, maybe an ounce. I don't know. But it just it's, it doesn't bother the hitter. It's on the end of the bat. So if you hit the ball on the end of the bat, it's going to be a squib hit someplace. So... Uh, they do that to lighten the bat. Anything to get a lighter bat today. And I don't think of where they hold the trademark, whether they hold it up or uh, facing the pitcher, doesn't matter. And they and they, they don't seem to have favorite bats. They break a bat and, uh, and the, you see the clubhouse boy, or not the clubhouse boy, the bat boy, grab a bat and, and bring it out to them and they walk right up to the plate and hit with it. So uh, they must be used to hitting all with the same bat and no bat's better than another bat. And I'm sure they never even heard of, of using bone on a bat to rub the bat by, with a bone to make it uh, tougher and, and, and uh, tighten it up, tighten the grain up on it. Anyway, that's what we did. I can't think of much else to say about the bats we used. Uh, the old guys, they didn't hit many home runs, but 
Well, Hack Wilson did. He hit 58 one year with the Cubs. But uh, they they did use heavier bats, and Hack was some kind of man. That I, I picked up one of his 58-ounce or 38-ounce bat. Not 38, but it was really a heavy bat. And uh, I, I couldn't see how he swung it, but he did and hit uh, 58 home runs. I I, I want to keep trying to think of things about equipment uh, that I can tell you. I'll insert them here and there, but uh, there there's still things areas that I haven't covered. My my idea in this uh, this podcast is to tell you about things that happened in the golden era of baseball, and I played in the golden era of baseball. And I saw and used a lot of these things and did a lot of these things, used the equipment. And I can tell you firsthand about it. It's not, uh, it doesn't come, it comes from a guy to you that actually did it. And I'm proud of that. And that's why I get kind of a kick out of telling you about it. I'm a little, people ask me to be on their podcast, and I'm a little reluctant to do that because I want to save it all for you. And you you do me a favor by listening, and I want you to to hear it all. So as I ramble around and search for things to tell you, I hope you'll put up with me, and uh, and we'll have a little, little more fun with this. I'll run out of gas one of these days. I won't have anything to tell you, uh, but uh, until that time comes, uh, we'll keep it going. Thank you for listening to the Golden Age of Baseball with baseball legend Eddie Robinson. If you have a question for Eddie or would like to suggest a topic for him to discuss, please email eddie.robinson65 at yahoo.com. And for an even deeper dive into the Golden Age of Baseball, read his autobiography, Lucky Me. My 65 Years in Baseball, which you can find on goodreads.com and on Amazon. The Golden Age of Baseball with Eddie Robinson was produced by Greg Ricks. Mark Robinson is our technical advisor, and Abby Robinson is our podcast coordinator. Mm -hmm.